0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Season 2 On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with Nate Altamari, co director of Rock Voices, America's community rock chorus. Nate talks about how his days in Hyannis Sound set the tone for his love of acapella music, what Rock Voices is all about, and the value and importance of storytelling in solo singing. Let's get ready! Anka Education starts now. It's the Anka Education Podcast. The Anka Education Podcast. All educators, you get out of these spots. How to raise. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. with Justin Glodish. Spotter. Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast here with episode 48. Here with me this week, I have a former member of Hyanna Sound, one of the premier acapella groups, uh, summer acapella groups out uh, in Cape Cod. He's also the founder and music director for a group called Fire Drill, and he's currently directing with not one, but two independent groups known as Rock voices uh, in Albany, New York, and in Saratoga, New York. Nate Altamari, Nate, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast.
1: Justin, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's funny because we were just talking uh, before you know before I hit record how you and I actually have a lot of different acquaintances uh, in the acapella world. But you know, me being from the Albany area, you actually know a lot of people that I kind of grew up with, which is is kind of cool. So we're actually talking. For, for the first time ever. And we've already it feels like we've known each other forever. Yeah. So um, so I, I want to talk to you about, actually, I want to talk to you about rock voices first, because, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast, not just in an cappella sense, but in an education sense, is that when we have students in our groups um, who, you know, have been taught the, the, are being taught the classical way, the classical training mm-hmm. in how to sing, when it comes to singing rock music, singing it in a classical way uh, with the classical technique can be a little, I don't know, it, it comes off a little awkward yeah. in, in a sense. So um, what are some of the things that you do with uh, rock voices and uh, how you get them to, you know, get the best sound uh, for what, the music that you're performing?
1: That's a great question. I, I think that um, I should preface this by saying that the, the singers in rock voices are across the board and, uh, amateur singers novice singers some of them are mm-hmm. singing in a group for the first time ever in their lives some people might have sung back in high school and that could have been 20 30 40 or more years ago um, mm-hmm. so um, but you're right you know the 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 timbre of voice the tone of voice that we use as uh, classical or choral singers or traditional singers is very different than what we would use in a uh, a rock setting. Much closer to what you would use vocally in an acapella setting, um, at least when singing, you know, melodies. So, you know, what one of the things that I try to remind people is uh, to loosen up. You know, I think that. People when they're singing in a in a large group setting and they're singing choral music, we tend to sort of get a little bit stiff. Um, the nature of our group is that we are a very relaxed. Uh, group, uh, I use the phrase rough around the edges, uh, on repeat, and that really is kind of the it, it, for me, I think it's kind of the hallmark of, of part of what Rock Voices brings to the table is we're not really worried about it being super pristine, uh, we want people to just sort of sing and have fun, and um. <laughs> I reference the original material often. You know, everything we do is right. covers of originals. So right now we're working on uh in our semi-virtual format, we're working on More Than a Feeling by Boston and mm-hmm. Sing a Song by Earthwind and Fire. Um two really wonderful songs, very different styles, uh neither of which work well if sung in a sort of traditional choral voice, right? Right. Especially, oh, yeah. particularly Boston, right? Boston is very bright, very forward sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times what I'll do is I will play the original and I'll say, raise your hand if you've heard of Boston. And everybody says, I know about Boston. And I get great. Sing like you're in Boston. And then they, you know, they, they start to get it and we'll do some exercises, you know, trying to work on, um, you know, front resonator stuff and bridge ear and nose stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of that can go over people's heads though, right? They don't necessarily know the mechanics of, of making that change. Um, in the, in sing a song, uh, I have used, unfortunately I've used the phrase put some stank on it, uh, in the last two (laughs) weeks, more than I care to admit. Uh, and the (laughs) reference point for me is, um, and you're around my age. So you remember, uh, the, the song word up by cameo. Yeah. Right, word up, and there's that really <laughs> bright, kind of brassy, nasally sound, and I basically yeah. say, "Sing like you're a member of Cameo for this whole song, in order to just get something that isn't so round and pure, that has a little bit of distress to it to fit the style." Um, right. Technique-wise, though, you know, I think, and I forgive me if I'm going on too far too long. Um, technique-wise. I'm not dealing with people that have learned to sing in a very specific way, right? They're not Mm -hmm. having to break their training of having been classical singers, choral singers, et cetera, voice majors, that sort of thing. We're dealing with people who are for the shower singers, car singers, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. behind closed doors by themselves singers. Um, So undoing to a certain extent, undoing technique uh, hasn't been much of an issue,
0: Right. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And what I love that you're actually saying is how, um, you're making it relatable. You know, you talk about a lot of the, the technique based stuff that, you know, we had like had learned and you're talking about people who again, haven't sung in choir for, you know, how many years and, um, or have never sung in a choir. And so they're not going to understand that. But if you say, Hey, make it sound like this, you know, they're, they're working on it. And then maybe from there you can incorporate a little bit more, but yeah, by giving them something to relate to, I think is clutch, you know, when it comes to uh, teaching novice voices or amateur voices,
1: Absolutely. You know, I think uh, confidence is a huge issue um, because a lot of my singers are uh, inexperienced sort of unproven untapped resources. Uh, and so there's a lot of tentative singing. I have sopranos that are singing in the full on in the middle of their full on belty range, right? They should be able to blast me off my, my keyboard, but they don't, they sing really quietly. And the reference that I've been making a lot lately is the voice that you want to use. That belting voice is the shouting at, uh, kid to get off your lawn, shouting, to get your dog's attention, <laughs> yelling across a noisy, you know, club, that voice, that big, powerful voice. And that was, it was described to me that way in college. I had a, a student, a friend of mine who said, listen, here's how you sing louder. And he said, imagine I'm on the other side of the quad and get my attention. And he, he demonstrated that voice. And he said, mechanically, that's the same part of your instrument you're using when you want to project you know, Mm -hmm. really big. And as soon as I said that to them, their volume increased, the intensity uh, in their singing increased, uh, and they felt more confident. And confident singing begets confident singing, right? You feel good about what you did. You say, I can do this. You sing it even better the next time. And it it sort of steamrolls on itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's a regular conversation that I have with people. Confident singing begets confidence. Trust that you can do it the first time, Every time after that, you'll feel better about it and it will get uh, it, it will improve. Uh, every single time,
0: nice. Now, uh, in terms of your rehearsal model, because I know that you said uh, earlier that uh currently you're in a, a semi virtual, I mean, and right. I know that you were virtual a while back. I was looking on the Rock Voices website, rockvoices.com. There's actually a, um, a virtual choir video from one of the projects that you guys did yep. uh during the pandemic. So, um, when you were in person or as you're slowly, gradually working way towards that. Yeah. Um, what is your typical rehearsal look like?
1: Uh, it's a bit of a free for all as you might imagine. So, um, uh, my Albany group is, uh, around a hundred singers in general, I have between 70 and 80 in attendance at a time. Um, uh-huh. They're all broken up into normal voice parts as usual, right, as you would sort of expect. Um, I always have people that are ping-ponging around because they're still not sure what their voice part is, right? So they're trying Soprano tonight. They might try Alto next week. Um, A little bit of warming up. Uh, My philosophy has always been if you're talking during the day, if you've been vocally active all day, you're most of the way – there, you're most of the way warmed up. So we'll do a little bit of warming up, um, and then we dig. We dig right into the music, and um, you know they have sheet music in front of them. Uh, not all of them, I'd say, probably half of them are sheet music readers. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of them use it for. Uh, directional purposes only, up, down, in words. Um, and words. Uh, and and then I have a lot of singers that are re- pure rote learners. And so I spend a lot of my rehearsal singing parts at them, singing, here's how your part goes. I'll sing it three more times, now you sing it with me, in order to so- help sort of reinforce, uh, reinforce that. Um, I am not a gifted pianist, and so I can play accompaniment chords mm-hmm. and... Single note lines, but if you were to ask me to play the soprano one and soprano soprano two split, it falls apart from there. I just <laughs> I don't have that skill. So a lot of times I'm singing a part all the way through. Soprano ones, this is your part. Let's go back. Soprano twos, this is your part. Now, let's put them together, and I'll sort of sing parts of both in order to keep them locked locked in. Um, yep. But it's there's a lot of repetition because they're all, a lot of them are learning by rote. Um, right. And I will pick a song or two to focus on for the evening. Um, We have karaoke accompaniment that we sing with for rehearsal purposes. In concert, we sing with a band, but uh, for rehearsal purposes, we sing with accompaniment. Um, And then, of course, there's me bludging, you know, bludging the piano. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) I know that feeling all too well. I mean, I first started out the same way. I was, you know, I could comp chords. I still comp chords, you know, but when you're teaching singing, technically your piano skills shouldn't be the be all and end all of what's going on, you know? And I mean, the, the acapella background, we'll talk about your acapella background in a little bit, but um, being able to have them, you know, maybe even sing without the piano once they feel comfortable so they can start hearing those voices blend. Um, One of the techniques I've usually done too is uh, once I'm done going over the soprano one line, I really, all right now, hum what you just sang. So you can hear what it sounds like as they work with the soprano twos and try and like line everything up and then they're starting to get it and they see how things kind of line up. But um, yeah, I think that uh, that's a, a, the the piano skills just like you were speaking my language because I I wasn't the greatest piano player. I'm still, I mean, literally our band director plays piano for our concerts and I'm waving my arms around and it's honestly for the, for the concert, it's one of the first times that my students are watching me conduct them because I'm usually, you know, playing for them in rehearsals. So, um, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about how you got there. All right. So, um, when I look on the Rock Voices website, there are a few people listed here. You're just one of a few. So, and it looks like that Rock Voices, it, it's touted as America's community rock chorus. So there are other locations in the United States where this happens. So how did you become involved uh, with Rock Voices?
1: Sure. I mean, I can give you the The Reader's Digest is, um, the, the organization was started by a guy named Tony Lechner. Uh, mm-hmm. He is based in the Northampton Amherst part of Massachusetts, uh, we went to college together. Uh, mm-hmm. so he was a grad student when I was an undergrad. He was my first vocal ensemble director while I was an undergrad at UMass. And, um, so we've kept in touch. We've known each other through that world in the acapella world. He led uh, a high school group that he taught at, at the school that he taught at while I was singing with fire drill. And so we would do little shows together and, um, so he, over the last six or seven years, since he started Rock Voices in Northampton, he's been reaching out to me. Um, asking every once in a while, hey, do you want to start a, a group in Albany? And at the time, I was working nights and I was working weekends, and I had young kids, and it was just wasn't going to fit my schedule. When my schedule changed, I realized that now was probably that you know that was probably the right time. So I reached out to Tony in uh, December of 2017 um, and said, "Hey, uh, if the offer still stands, I'd like to start a group." And he said, uh, "Yeah, let's fast track it so we can have you." running with a group by the end of February, 2018. So two months, let's take two months and make it happen. Can you find a venue, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it kind of fell into place from there. My first group was, uh, 17 singers. Um, uh, and we rock voices as a, as a model, because there are all of these groups are 16 groups now in the Northeast, And one in Portland, Oregon, of all places. But for the most part, we're in the Northeast. And um, each of the groups sings the same repertoire every concert season. So we've got 16 groups all singing the same book, preparing the same concert, so to speak. Uh, And so when it gets to be concert time, if a choir is in need of some supplementation, Choir members will migrate. They'll go and sing on another show. So I had 17 of my own singers and 35 singers from Northampton, Mass and Brattleboro, Vermont and Hartford, Connecticut come and basically land on my show the night of the show without any rehearsal with me. And they knew the music and they did their best to follow my conducting and cues, Mm -hmm. but it gave my 17 singers the experience of 60 people on stage
0: that's they cool.
1: hadn't been planning on, right. They had been thinking this is going to be a really small performance, right? Suddenly it's just, this, this massive group. Um, and so that group went from 17 to 45 to 65 to a hundred over the course of four seasons. Um, and it's mostly by word of mouth. It's just, you know, friends of friends saw the show. I heard my sister-in-law does this. I want to do it too. And mm-hmm. the group kind of blew up. Um, So after three seasons with Albany and having to relocate each season because we ran out of rehearsal space, we grew beyond what we could manage, I reached out to Tony and said, I think we could do another one of these up in Saratoga because I think they're two uniquely different locations. They're far enough apart that there isn't a lot of cross-population between the two. Saratoga <laughs> people never want to
0: come to Albany and vice versa, right? Oh yeah, I'm from the area. Yeah. I I know quite well. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and so we started a group in Saratoga, and that group took off just as fast. We went from like 45 to 70 to 90 singers in three seasons, um, and uh, the experience has been equally rewarding, but very different because there are differences in people, right? Different group of people. Right. You can never know really what the chemistry is going to be, but it really was for me just, um, the timing was right for Tony to reach out or for me to reach out to Tony and say, yeah, this is, this is the, the, the time is good for me. My wife is willing to give me, you know, a night or two a week to go and do this. Um, and, uh, and it's, been the, it's been the best thing, man. It's been the best thing I've ever done. Like, Fire Drill started and eventually sort of fizzled. We plateaued at, we, you know, we sing together once every two years, maybe mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, so there's been no real singing in my life for a few years now. Um, right. And while I'm not performing in the same way, the the Rock Voices experience has filled uh, every musical void in my life that I've, that I've had. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you mentioning Fire Drill, Fire Drill was actually one of uh, your, semi pro pro groups that you were taking part in. Yep. Um but before that, I mean you talked about uh UMass Amherst, which is where you did your undergrad. And um you you were involved in an array of choral groups there, but yep. also I believe, a, a doo-wop style group. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until you spent the summer uh, in Cape Cod um, singing in hyena Sound that you got your true first contemporary a cappella experience. Yeah. So what was it like transitioning from, say, that doo-wop style, that, even that choral sound, to getting your, your first taste of what we now consider contemporary acapella.
1: Yeah. You know, I think most college groups, if you look at the sort of the model for a college group, it's a 10 or 12 or 16 or 20 person group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, you know, where, what, what was your college group experience?
0: Uh, I was in the, uh, SUNY The pointer counts, uh, right. and it varied by, it varied by semester. It varied right. by year just because we had guys who some reasons would leave some, uh, student teaching, right. whatever that may be. So, you know, my first experience, there was about 15 of us, right. uh, and then 11 and then, you know, 16, it, it, it varies, sure. but, um, but we so- always tried to make sure that we had at least two to three guys on a part in, in a sense. Yeah.
1: So, so my group at UMass was a five guy group mm-hmm. and because it was a 5 guy group, obviously we were, we were singing individual parts, but we were also singing almost exclusively this really simplistic music temptations, you know, Sam mm-hmm. cook Four tops, that kind of stuff. And it was all taught by rote. And because we all had established voice roles, the music director of that group, when I first joined up, he basically was like, here's the, I'm going to play the chords once through, and you know where you fall in the triad, right? You know, mm-hmm. what part of the chord you are. So you just sing the part, you know, you're supposed to sing. And we kind of, like seat of our pants did for years. That was kind of what we did. Um, but then, yeah, so I, uh, the vineyard sound came to UMass and did a show with us. And the vineyard sound was started a year before Hyena sound by Townsend as well. Uh, they came and did a show at UMass for a fundraiser. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a large person, a 10 person group, um, hmm. Uh, Especially a group that polished, right? Really professional sounding group. And they put me in touch with Hyannis Sound because they had at the time, they only drew from a few different schools, Skidmore and Connecticut College and Wesleyan. That was it. Right. Hyena Sound was a little bit more open. They just sort of took singers from wherever, and so they put me in touch with the guys in Hyena Sound, and I auditioned, and got in, and was scared out of my. I'm just I couldn't the idea like moving to the Cape with sight unseen for the most part, no idea what was going to happen, um, living in a house with nine strangers. It was like the real world, uh, and uh, and. Um, But yeah, like we, I went from a group that never used sheet music to a group that relied heavily on sheet music and did arrangements by a wide range of people. So styles were really varied. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you learn to deal with, uh, you know, personalities, right. A whole bunch of new personalities and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, I came back to UMass the next year and all I could think was, we need to double our group. We need to be at least 10 people, because that's the only way you can do this. Right. Right. We were doing it. But the I've had this experience and it needs to be different now because this experience changed my opinion or my my sort of experience. My, um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My uh, perception of what uh, an acapella group should be. And everybody in my UMass group was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So you got to figure out how to be okay with that. Um, and so I learned how to sort of balance the two because I, I went back to Hyena Sound. Uh, I continued with my group at, at UMass. Um, and I saw the the joy of two very different models um mm-hmm. but the contemporary a cappella sound with vocal percussion and dedicated vocal bass and not singing just words but you know really trying to mimic instruments and that thing i got bit by that bug um and so right uh, from Iana sound had several little semi pro groups that either took off for a while or didn't um mm-hmm. trying to find you know sort of a path
0: Right. Now, uh, out of curiosity, you had mentioned how a lot of, uh, what you did with your five person, uh, group in college, uh, was all wrote. And, uh, actually we had, uh, we had Claude McKnight from take six, yeah. uh, last season. And he said their first album was completely wrote. And when yeah. they were asked to arrange it for, I believe for Hal Leonard for, uh, to create a songbook, they had to go back and like notate it, yeah. Like they were, but they learned the whole thing. But I'm curious, did the idea of using sheet music in Hyanna sound, did you take that back to the duo group or did you continue doing things by rope?
1: I tried to, I tried to. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. when I got back there, it became clear that only two of us out of the five could read music to begin with. So it wasn't, gotcha. it wasn't going to be helpful. Um, I had been at that point uh, a, a voice major. I was studying voice and the musical director at the time was a voice major and, um, hmm. And, uh, and then three guys who just sang and enjoyed it. So uh, it, 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 wasn't going to work the sheet music model. Um, and to my knowledge until a lot later, well beyond the years that I was there, um, I, I don't think they ever really brought sheet music in until probably the last, you know, eight or 10 years.
0: Gotcha. And what, what I find awesome about Hyena sound is the amount of alumni who like have gone on, like Hyena sound is almost like, a it's not a school, but it's like the prep school group for like professionals. It it seems like like, I'm looking at, uh, I can use uh, John Smith as an example, who sings with the swingles out in England. Um, and then these three gentlemen who are just on America's got talent this year, they call themselves uh, the TikTok tenors. All three of them were members of hyena sound at one point. And, uh, yeah, just, I remember, you know, back in the, I guess the, We'll call it the Napster, LimeWire, <laughs> you know, computer virus era yep. of downloading music. Uh, there were those acapella tracks that said rock a but, you know, they're actually some of them were actually Hyannis Sound and Hyannis Sound had some of the really good quality arrangements. Yep. Um, and, you know, they were like a group that I was floored by in college, um, you know, and even when I was singing with uh, Sons of Pitches in the Fault Line, it was just mind blowing to hear this group who, like you said, they literally just come together for the summer and, and and it's, it's their job. Like they're putting together things at a fast pace. They're performing almost nightly. It's, it's intense and, uh, you know, some, some really great people, including yourself have come out of that. All right, thanks for saying so, so,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think of myself as I was a very early member of Hyena sound and the uh, 24 years since I left that group or three years, 23 years since I left that group has fed the music world. Some just unbelievably talented people, uh, I agree. Uh, uh, sons of serendip was a group from that was on America's Got Talent a few years ago. And Micah Christian mm-hmm. is their lead singer. He was a Hyena sound guy. Um, um, and he is one of the most extraordinary singers I've ever met. But there's just countless people, uh, and all of us in the early era of Hyena Sound agree that if we were to try out for a group from 2005 on, none of us would have gotten it <laughs> at all. Oh, yeah,
0: that's 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 how I look at it too. Yeah. yeah, I um I don't think I would ever. I don't think I would get in my college a cappella group now, to be honest. Um,
1: and these guys, you the new guys, uh, the T Three guys uh, from from Eric's Got Talent, those guys are. Insane. Each of them individually are just, just insane singers.
0: Yeah. And like, again, these guys come from all over, you know, I know one of the, one of the guys was, um, you know, he was a recent Ithaca college graduate, you know, one was singing in school of rock in a national tour of school of rock, you know, and another one, he sings perfect, like they're phenomenal at what they do. It's just, it's great to see, um, how Hyanna sound is kind of catapulted, you know, some of them into the next thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I also brought you on here because uh, a while back when I was singing with, uh, the fault line, we did this gig in, uh, Kettering, Ohio yeah. uh, with a man named Brody McDonald. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the acapella world know Brody. Uh, he's one of the Acapella Educator Association uh, board members um, and he he has, you know, one of his groups was on the sing-off one season. Uh, he's written a few books about contemporary acapella. Biggest one being uh, his first one, Acapella Pop, Complete Guide to Contemporary Acapella Singing, which he actually mentions the Fault Line uh, references are a reference to turkey bacon. Like, it's not real bacon. <laughs> But it's almost there you know in, in reference to you know your performance is almost there but not quite but you actually contributed a chapter on solo
1: singing I did. Yeah. yes
0: so um i wanted to ask just because i know that when it comes to even in the choral setting it could be choral acapella whatever um there is a certain i feel there's a certain way that you approach how the soloist prepares versus how the group it prepares you know your background voices prepare so what are some tips that you have for you know just soloists in general i know that this is the beginning of the school year and there's going to be a lot of auditions coming up for a lot of groups and you know any tips that you have in terms of how to prepare the best possible solo?
1: Sure. This is it. So I I think i mentioned this before. This is a a deep cut because I haven't looked at any of that content since probably the day I emailed a draft to Brody. Um, And uh, the thing that I think resonates with me that I, that I still reflect on from that idea is storytelling and how important storytelling is when you're singing. Um, And I think that there are people that would say it's maybe not as important when you're singing an up-tempo, you know, fast-paced pop tune. Um, But, man, when you think about something like, uh, you know, Ed Sheeran tunes and, uh, Bruno Mars, more of his ballad area era stuff, you know, um, but you think about contemporary solo singing, um, particularly slower songs. It's all about storytelling, thinking about what you're singing, knowing what you're singing, uh, the, what the story of what you're singing is making sure that you're, if you're performing live, that your face reflects the sentiment of the story that you're singing. Um, and, uh, I'm a lyric guy. I I'm totally a lyric guy more than I'm a melody guy. And I think about lyrics a lot more when I hear songs or when I am, uh, when I'm singing songs. Um, and so I, I tend to get lost in the meaning of what's not in the, in a bad way. I get lost in like I get sort of taken away from the moment when I'm singing a song. Um, and uh, there are times where I, coming out of a performance, I won't remember having sung, you know, any of the choices that I made until I go back and listen to it um, because I'm just thinking about the content of the song, the story. Um, so that's always the first thing that I tell people. What is this song about? Ask people, what is this song about? What uh, does it mean to you? uh how can you express that with your voice the melody is probably going to stay the same but what do you do with your voice in order to make that story make sense whether it is um you know do you need to sound a little bit broken while you're singing this because it's a sad song maybe you can't sing it super pure maybe you need to sound vulnerable and out of breath or maybe your voice needs to crack I refer to it as passion crack. You have to, if your voice cracks because you are so passionate about what you're singing, that's fine. And it's admissible. Let it happen. Um, uh, that's always the first thing that I go to. Um, the technique stuff is all the same breath support. Um, you know, make sure that you're breathing more often than you think you need to. And don't challenge yourself to keep going. When you feel like you're running out of breath, find a place to breathe. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Yeah. I don't know. Um, Mike technique is a part of it, but that's, that's all, all of those things I feel are, are relatively rudimentary and they apply to all of it, right? They apply to Mm -hmm. group singing as, as well, but as a solo singer, knowing your melody, knowing the meaning of the song that you're singing. And if you are someone who wants to embellish, you have to build, you can't go into the first verse of a song as if you, you are wanting to modify the melody that much, right? Exactly. The melody for the first verse, a little bit of a variation in the second verse, do something really different at the end or in the bridge. Like that's the, the bridge is the peak. Maybe that's where you want to do the embellishing and stuff. Um, but
0: (sighs) I think it's important to remember too, with the embellishing is that um, sometimes less is more. And Actually,
1: roll more limits. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't you know. do any of those fun, trilly, cornering R and B things. I just don't have that dexterity with my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to compensate by big sound, you know, pure sound, uh, trying to be really, really accurate. You know, I pride myself on having, control in that regard. But, but man, like anytime I ever try to put something a little bit, uh, well, put a little bit of stank on it, right. <laughs> anytime I try to really do that, I feel like I crash and burn. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am all for keeping it, keeping it simple and accessible your listeners want to be able to sing along in their head or, hmm. To the recording that they take home. And if you're singing beyond the ability of your listenership, they're gonna get discouraged. They're not gonna sing along with this your track because they're not going to feel they're gonna feel like they're they're never getting there. Oh, this is so frustrating to try to sing along with this. I don't even want to bother. But if it is just beautiful singing and it's just, you know, pure tone singing with good vibrato and a couple of really tasty choices that a listener can say, Oh, I think I can do that. I think it makes them feel really good. And so that's always what I strive for. And
0: I think and I that's what it sets it apart, it apart too, is, is that, that when you have? have, um, you know, someone who's singing, you know, let's say Georgia on my mind, you know, nice, beautiful ballad, Georgia on my mind. But if they're just embellishing em- embellishing, embellishing, then the, the song loses its meaning, you know, and, um, again like you said the aud- you want to grasp the audience and you want them to come along for the ride not kind of push you off to the side and be like no thanks i'm done <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah i agree 100% and, and storytelling is like it can be tricky with some of today's pop music there's right. uh, uh, not a lot, uh, not a
1: lot of content right
0: it's really not it's, no. it's, it's it's very formulaic it's uh you know like max martin even you know admits when he write when he wrote songs for britney spears and nsync he's like it needed the rhyme, you know, and it, and it makes, makes no sense. Um, but I like the, uh, the passion crack that, uh, I have written that down and I am going to use that. You need the passion crack. Yeah. You explain Mr. Glodish, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) So No,
1: I feel like it's a real thing. And I think people try so hard to make everything so pristine that you lose. It becomes, artificial almost right and the song like you mentioned i mean georgia georgia on my mind people singing that song i've heard that song where it is just it might as well not be that song anymore right right and you think i mean you think about you know modern interpretations of the national anthem right and that are so far off from the intention of that song and that's why everybody goes back to whitney right because she yep. just sang the song And she didn't overdo any of
0: it, right? I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's literally something that I do every year with my general music students is I have, you know, I have Whitney's. um, I just, I started using the pentatonics one from the World Series uh, last year. Um, You know, my buddy Adam, uh, who I sang with the Fault Line, he's actually the official anthem singer for the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL. So he sings it like every like playoff game. They're airing the national anthem, and then the the Fergie version from the All Star Game a few years ago. And um, my students have a lot to say about that interpretation simply because they're used to what they know. Yeah. But when they hear it, they're very confused, and it, it's that they didn't get go along for the ride. They like kind of pushed it off to the side, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't help that you got you know guys like Draymond Green and Steph Curry laughing at the end of it either. But Again, it's, it's all about what you said. It's, it's engaging and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, it's, it's been awesome to actually like finally get to talk to you. Yeah. And, you too, man. Learn, learn, learn a little bit about your history. You know, you mentioned Townsend Belial, who, um, you know, you said uh, basically founded, one of the founders of Hyena Sound yeah. Yeah. who yeah. Uh, was very helpful in uh, the beginning of my professional acapella career. You know um, he knew a lot of people and I believe you sang with him in fire drill as well.
1: Uh, see so he was a he was an an influence but he's not a uh he's gotcha not a, yeah so he wasn't a fire drill guy but he uh was an unofficial hyena sound member as the founder but he was an um, original member of vineyard sound um, gotcha and uh yeah and just like a this sort of small Empire of acapella uh mm-hmm. with these groups and uh yeah he's he's great.
0: Now, uh, one last thing before we go, and it, sure. it's going back to actually going back to rock voices. Um, mm-hmm. if one was interested to either take part in rock voices or start another chapter, mm-hmm. say somewhere else, um, how would they go about doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I know that, uh, the, uh, the, the long-term goal is to embody the slogan, which is America's uh, community mm-hmm. chorus, uh, community choir. Um, so I think that's what it says. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He's wearing the, shirt, for I those who did the shirt. I know
0: it's an audio <laughs> podcast, but he is wearing the Rock Voices shirt.
1: Um, so uh, Tony's m- goal is to expand, sort of, to daisy chain across the country South and, and West. Um, so the furthest West we are right now, we have a a group in Buffalo. Um, and, uh, beyond that, I think the, the, the idea is that if people want to start groups, he wants to make sure that there is another group relatively nearby drivable so that there is that support from a, a group. But, um, Uh, emailing me, emailing Tony at rock voices or Nate at rock voices is a great way to reach out. Uh, my role in the organization is I am the director of outreach for rock voices. Uh, so Mm -hmm. in addition to directing two groups, uh, I have a job with them, although I have been furloughed since May of 2020 and I continue to be, um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, planting and establishing new choirs is part of my responsibility. One of the things that I do. So reaching out to me, if you're interested, um, uh, we're looking for people who are uh, great with a wide range of people and a wide range of ages. My median age is 50 to 75, um, mm. and that's pretty common. Most of the groups are older, you know, parent, our parent age singers. Um, right. uh, ability to, to, to uh, understanding of contemporary music, rock music. That's pretty much all we do. So you can't be the opera singer, classical singer who says, well, I've, you know, I, I know about rock and roll. Like you have to be as somebody who knows rock music. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the, the way to do it, uh, to sing with us. Um, there are, uh, all 16 locations are listed on the rockvoices.com on the website. Um, take a look and see if there's one near you. The only real requirement is, uh, you gotta be an adult. Um, mm-hmm. there's no audition required. Everybody is welcome. As long as you're an adult, um, and, uh, we have, I can't, can't possibly express how much fun we have. We have an incredibly good time.
0: It looks like it. I mean, like you said earlier, uh, currently you're working on more than a feeling by Boston, not the in-sync version, no. uh, just so everyone knows, which actually, which is weird because I did an acapella arrangement of the instinct version, which was done by a guy who was in Hyannis Sound oh, a while back. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so, you know, some earth, wind and fire, but you also, the current video that is right on the front page here is uh times like these by uh the now rock and roll hall of fame uh foo fighters yep. Yep. so um the, the great great i mean i'm a fan of all this music i'm not gonna lie is it, uh mostly it, you said it's all rock so are we talking mostly classic rock do we go into like the mud vein and the, the stained and stuff like that, the like that. I, think, stuff? I think the, the sort of
1: the, the the darkest stuff we've done we've done a couple of king's x tunes mm-hmm. um uh but we go back, I mean, we've gone back as far as the 50s. Uh, there's not a great selection of music from the 90s. So 90s is a relatively blank spot in in the, the repertoire of the group. But um, right. the most, I mean, obviously the thing we're looking for is that there are vocal harmonies. Um, the, the music that we do are they're tra- direct transcriptions. So there's no uh, you know, unique interpretation, like an acapella arrangement, it is a transcription of what is originally sung and then broken up into voice parts where applicable. So vocal harmonies are the goal if possible, but we, um, just before COVID, we had been working on, uh, on a rush tune that had no harmonies. It was just one single melody line. So we were just belting it out in, you know, two octaves. Um, nice uh so if the song is good enough to carry itself then that's fine but vocal harmonies help hence boston you know and and uh, Earth, wind and fire and that kind of
0: stuff awesome so uh for those of you that are listening if you're interested uh and you're in the northeast i should say um yeah. or if you want to get a hold of me um go to rockvoices.com uh to check them out uh nate altamari Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll be right back. All right. That's another episode down for the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much to Nate Altamari for joining me this week. Be sure to check him out at rockvoices.com. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at AkaEdPodcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify new episodes released every monday you can also now tune into the podcast on akaville radio akaville.org if interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation go over to anchor.fm slash Podcast to do so and if you ever have any questions about the podcast suggestions on future guests please email me at podcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the anchor website from the akka education podcast i'm justin glodish We'll talk soon.